You're listening to the Renew Life Church podcast. We hope this message inspires you and challenges you to become a true disciple of Jesus. To find out more about us, go to renewlifechurch.com. Yeah, let's pray, and then I wanna dive into the, to the word for a little bit. Father, I thank you uh, for this time together. I thank you for the things that are stirring in our hearts and stirring in our minds already and, and, and the, the amount of peace that is in the room. Uh, I, I know that that is all attributed to, to you. And so we just give you honor and we give you glory and we thank you. Holy Spirit, I ask you uh, to open our ears to your word that we would have a different level of hearing today, um, that you would open us up to revelation today that maybe we haven't heard. Uh, and even as we dig through scriptures that uh, are familiar, Father, that you would draw things out because your, your word is alive and it is a deep well. And we just desire to, to grow further in love with it. And as we do, we're growing further in love with you. Uh, I pray that you would anoint my lips and my mouth to speak the words uh, that, that you've given uh, for this message, Lord. We thank you for all these things and what you're doing for us, your kindness and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um. How many people in the room like old stuff? <laughs> I didn't call you old. Maybe you like old stuff, but like you like old stuff. Like you like old relics, like you like to uh, do like antiquing or I'm not calling you a hoarder. Um, don't read between the lines or listen to something I'm not saying, but like you like old stuff. You know, like you might be one of those kind of people that say things like, they just don't make movies like they used to. Like if you say things like that, you're the kind of person that I'm talking to, that's what I say. Uh, or, or maybe you're one of those like, that say, you know, country music's just not country music anymore. And the truth be told, it's actually not country music anymore. And, it, and Jesus would even agree with me. <laughs> Believe me, I know him. And he would say, you know, this is not country. This is, just isn't it. I love old things. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a pretty... Um, a sentimental person like to collect older things or like if, if something's handed down to me that was old, I like to keep that. Uh, I remember when I was a child, for the Midland people, the actual like OG Midland people in the room, you may know of this place, but there's a place used to a long time ago when I was a kid. Uh, it was on uh, Midland Drive in Neely. It was called Burger Time. Anybody know of it? Come on. I got some old school Midland people in the room. Uh, I remember when I was about eight, nine years old, I would get to ride my bicycle when I was at my grandma and papa's house. I get to ride my bicycle down the road to burger time on my own with some friends. Like, I don't know who does that anymore. I don't think you do that anymore. I think you can get thrown in jail. And like CPS is called before they even get to burger time now. Uh, you just can't do that kind of stuff any longer. But I wish that we could because it was like, I would love to send my kids to burger time with $5 and say, get a cheeseburger and a strawberry milkshake. Like, it would be amazing, but we, we can't. I, I love the old things, uh, like old football. Like, if I have football fans in the room, like old football, like the days of like the Maiditkas and, um, you know, like the Bill Cowers and some of the old school, even, you can even go further than that. Like, even when like Ray Lewis and those kinds of guys were playing in the middle of the field and wide receivers were deathly afraid to run across the middle. Y'all remember these days. Like, this is what got us hooked on the sport. Well, it didn't for me. Like, I love when ESPN Classics plays, like, old school games. You know, like, it, it's so much fun. Like, when playoffs are happening and they start playing, like, old rivalry games. I love these kinds of things. We do, we do this often, but we talk about old things, and, and sometimes it's really hard to make old things relevant again. 
Like I could talk about burger time in this room, but if you don't know what burger time is, it means nothing to you. We can talk about old things and we try to bring old things back to make them relative again, like fashion, you know, like, like fanny packs, <laughs> like t-shirts that you buy at like truck stops and then you wear them and resell them and then they're like a famous thing all of a sudden. And mom jeans and anyways, but there's all these things that we try to constantly bring back to the surface and it's hard to make old things relevant sometimes. And as it pertains to Christianity and following God in the church, I think oftentimes the Old Testament falls into this category of being really hard to make relevant again. We, 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 when we open our Bibles, oftentimes we find ourselves from Matthew to Revelation, well, from Matthew, maybe not Revelations. <laughs> maybe some of us are like, no, I'm gonna stay away from that one. But we find ourselves in these places of scripture that we, that we understand easier, that, that reads easier. And so it's like we stay out of the Old Testament oftentimes and we ask ourselves, what is this even for? Like, is it so that I could know who begot who for like 15 generations? A bunch of begots of some guys that don't even know how to pronounce their names in Genesis chapter five? Is it the Old Testament there so that we could actually have like great stories that, to actually build children's curriculum on? Because if we didn't have that, we wouldn't have much other than Jesus and him crucified and resurrected. And we can't preach that over and over and over, but you can. Um, what is the Old Testament's purpose and why is it here? And I believe it's this, the relevance of the Old Testament is found in this statement. The entire Bible, New and Old Testament, is designed to point us at Jesus. Amen. That's the whole purpose of the New and Old Testament. I make this statement because we see that Jesus is actually God himself, but he's sitting in this, this human form to come to the earth, and Jesus and the word are the same thing. If you look at John chapter one, verses one through 14 with me, you can look in your Bible, you can look on the screen, but it says this, in the beginning, the word already existed. And the word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created. He's talking about Jesus. And his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. And God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Verse 14, so the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love faithful and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory and the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Jesus actually came on the earth and everything in scripture, it, it solely points at the man of Jesus, at the Son of God, the one and only, uh, because Jesus actually really is, believe it or not, the ultimate plan for you to have life and have life abundantly. 
Amen. Uh, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna do some, some, just some reading of some scripture today. It's gonna be quite a bit of scripture, but uh, I wanna just take you through a couple of things that point, Old Testament things that point to the life and ministry of Jesus. Are y'all good with that? Great, well, I'm sorry if you're not. I have you for the next 16 minutes and 40 seconds. And if you leave, it would just be really awkward, so just take it. Um, no, I'm kidding. Genesis chapter 48, you can turn there in your Bible as well. I'm gonna read uh, verses eight through 20, but this is just a look from the Old Testament at Jesus. It says, then Israel, or this would be Jacob, saw Joseph's sons and said, who are these? And Joseph said to his father, these are my sons whom God gave me in this place. And he said, please bring them to me and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near to him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact, God has also shown me your offspring. So Joseph brought them from beside his knee and he bowed down to his face to the earth. And Joseph took, both, took them both, Ephraim with his right hand towards Israel's left hand and Manasseh with his left hand towards Israel's right hand and brought them near him. Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger. This is important. And his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly. For Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless these lads. Let my name be named among them. And the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to, him, said to his father, not so my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know my son, I know. He also shall become a people, a, a people, and also shall be great, but truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, by you Israel will bless, saying, may God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh, and thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. So in, in, the, in the, the context of the Old Testament pointing us at Jesus, Simply what we just read is a picture of what happened between Jesus and us on the cross. And Joseph takes his, his oldest son, which is Manasseh, his youngest son, he positions them rightly because the way that it should have worked is that, that his father, Jacob, would actually take his right hand of blessing and he would bless the older of the two sons. Anytime you see in scripture the right hand or the right side, know that it's blessing. Remember that story when Jesus uh, calls to the disciples and they've been fishing. He's like, hey, have you caught anything? They're like, no, not all night. And he says, put your nets on the right side of the boat. They do, and then they pull up this, this haul of fish, this blessing of fish, so much that it starts breaking their nets. Right always represents blessing. And so he says, bring your sons, and so he positions them so that the right hand would go on the oldest and the left hand, that's kind of like a, bless you too kind of thing, I would go on the younger son. 
And it said that, that Jacob's eyes were dim in age, meaning he didn't see well. And as he goes to bless them, he crosses his arms and he lays his right hand of blessing on the younger son. And he lays his left on the older son. As this is such an amazing picture of the grace that was displayed to us and, and the mercy that God showed us on that day when Jesus is hanging on the cross saying, I'm choosing to put you in a place of life and life abundantly with my right hand. I'm blessing you as the younger of the two. There's one that is deserving, who is Jesus. But I'm actually gonna give you what he deserved because of all the things that he's doing for you and I'm gonna bless you with my right hand. Such a cool picture uh, in scripture of, of this, this plan that God had for Jesus to be on the earth. It sounds so much like a great father to me. And the Old Testament is constantly pointing us to Jesus. And, and so I wanna point, uh, point out and reveal Jesus to you through a miracle of Elisha. Um, Elisha was uh, a prophet uh, who was chosen by Elijah. It was gonna be this, this, this prophet that would actually step in and take, take over, so to speak. He would be the, the successor, if you will, to Elijah when Elijah left the earth. And so, uh, so Elijah finds Elisha and he anoints him. And this is how this happens. In 1 Kings 19, it says this. So Elijah, and I know their, their names are a little challenging. Elijah went and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elisha went over to him, threw his cloak across his shoulders and then he walked away as if to, to anoint him. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah and said to him first, let me go and kiss my father and my mother goodbye and then I will go with you. I want you to notice something that's interesting. Elisha was plowing with a 12th team of oxen. The 12th team, why is this here? Why is this important? The number 12 always represents perfection. And it always represents uh, governmental or per perfect government. Uh, even if you take, a, take a, uh, a flashback into Acts chapter one, Jesus has been crucified, he's resurrected, and then all of the, the disciples are in the upper room. This is before the Holy Spirit comes, they're in the upper room. And it says that, that Peter stands up and he, and he begins to uh, take authority over the room to, to say, we have to replace Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus, with another. So they went from being 12 disciples, perfect government, to 11. And the first order of business for the early church was to replace, reestablish perfect government in the church. And then immediately after so, boom, the Holy Spirit comes and the ministry of the Holy Spirit starts advancing on the earth instantly. Super amazing uh, how scripture paints pictures of different things all throughout itself. Uh, but, but the number 12, it represents perfection, perfect government. And even if you, if you think about Isaiah, he prophesied this over Jesus. He said, for us, to us a child is born and to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. So we're connecting Elisha plowing with the yoke of 12 oxen, the 12th team of oxen, to Jesus who would have government placed on his shoulders. Y'all with me still? So we begin to see this incredible uh, ministry, this uh, ministry of Elisha being this foreshadowing, prophetic foreshadowing of the ministry of Jesus. Uh, Elisha was mentored by Elijah. 
and we know the story of Elijah and how he, he slays all these prophets, these false prophets, and then he is freaked out. All, all of a sudden, he's hiding in the cave. He's running from Jezebel. He's deathly afraid. And, and this is where we pick up some of these things that happen next. He receives, Elisha receives this double portion of anointing. In 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11, it says this. And as they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared. Now, I want you just for two seconds to put yourself in the story. You're walking along with your mentor. Are you walking, you're walking along with your spiritual father or whoever you would call uh, someone like that. And all of a sudden, chariots of fire, a chariot of fire appears drawn by horses of fire. And be like, what did I do last night? It's, it's still affecting me. Uh, it drove between the two men, separating them. And Elijah was carried up by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, my father, my father, I see the chariots and the charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from his sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress. Such an interesting thing in scripture I see. Like they're always ripping their clothes off when they're mad, you know? <laughs> like could you imagine, we wouldn't have a wardrobe on the distress that we live under sometimes. Like, I don't get it, but... It was an Old Testament thing, and I'm sure it has a purpose. Anyways, Elisha then picks up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen when he was taken up. Then Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan, and he struck the waters with Elijah's cloak and cried out, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Then the river divided, and Elisha walked across. Pretty wild story. Really, really cool. Where have we seen something similar to water splitting? Uh, obviously, it's Moses. It's 600 years prior, we see this uh, when, when they're being um, pursued by the enemy and, and, the, and the Red Sea splits and the children of Israel go, on, go, go through on dry land and then obviously the waters come and consume the army. But why, is, why are these things significant? And why does scripture put these things in there? And I, I'm gonna give you what I, I believe is true. The law, the 10 commandments, we know that they came through Moses, right? We remember that, that, that the whole story of the mountaintop moment that Moses had with the Lord and he comes down with the, these 10 things. In John chapter one, verse 17, it says that, that the law was given through Moses, talking about the 10 commandments, the old covenant, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So you have this, this the law, you have, you have this is a, a list of, of rules that you should follow. And if you break one of these rules, you take an animal and you sacrifice that animal so that it atones for your sin. But guess what? You're gonna break another rule. And so what you're gonna have to do is you're gonna take another animal and then you're gonna sacrifice that animal so that it could atone for that sin. And then you're gonna, and it repeats itself. But it says that, that grace and truth came through Jesus as if to say, there's gonna be one sacrifice for all the things that you've done wrong and if you'll put your faith and your trust on that one, it will wipe away the effects of sin on your life. It's literally just this incredible picture, but why was this miracle the first one done by Elisha? I believe it was because there's nothing that the law can do that grace can't do better. It's like that old Gatorade commercial. I don't remember if, if that one is like, anything you can do, I can do better. And it was like they were playing basketball against each other. Um, old commercials, once again, I'm an old thinker sometimes. Um, look at Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. Uh, this is such a great scripture. Uh, for, it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. 
and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You think your obedience produces blessing? Do you think uh, your ability to do things right or say things right produce blessing? Your ability to do right, your ability to speak right, your ability to obey is nothing in comparison to the actual blessing that comes on your life through your belief in all that Jesus did for you. Remember Matthew chapter six when he's talking about um, uh, doing charitable deeds, uh, praying, fasting. There was that thing that he kept saying over and over. And he said, he's like, especially when he was talking about praying, and he said, uh, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrite. For they stand on the street corners in the synagogues and they pray out loud so that they would be heard by men. And he says, nevertheless, I tell you, they have their reward. Like there is a a reward that is connected to you doing some of the things that you find in scripture. But if your heart is removed from the Father, all you have is the reward of people seeing you do it. And that sort of glory will actually die. And that sort of life will actually eventually run out. But he's saying, if you'll actually do some things unto me with your heart that is drawn in affection and pointed at me, I'll not only see in secret, I'll reward you openly for the things that you're doing in secret. There's such a grace on our life when we choose to actually just follow the things that Jesus has put into place. I'm convinced that this miracle that we see from Elisha, it was to set the tone for his ministry so that no one could say that what Moses did under the law in any way, shape, or form was better than what Elisha was pointing at being done in the covenant of grace. You have this law thought that is, I'm doing to be approved. I'm doing things so that I will get approval from the Father. And grace is, believing that you are approved because of the doing of Jesus. It's two different things. We see this in the story of Martha and Mary. I'm gonna read this, it's in Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42, I think you might have it up on the screen, but it says this, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work for myself? Tell her to help me. That sounds like the things that my kids tell me. And I have one do a chore and the other one's doing something different. Anyways, he says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things but few things are needed, or indeed only one. And Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Martha is this picture of, of, of all of us at times. No one's excluded from this in a lot of ways, where, we, where we, we, we look at situations. We look at our situation, and then we look at someone else's situation. Uh, we want to be blessed, and then we see someone else that's being blessed. And we think, well, I, I, I'm a tither, Lord, And I only miss church like once a month, maybe once every two months. In all my circles, I'm known as as a Christian business, businessman or a businesswoman. Jesus, 
I have 37 Christian fishes on the back of my window in my car. I can't even see out of my rearview mirror. I should be blessed. But what about, why is this person getting this and I'm not? Basically what we're saying is, I actually deserve something that Jesus is not giving me. And the reason that we're thinking that we're deserving of something he's not giving is because our eyes are actually set on a different prize than the one that is actually life and life abundantly because we're seeking something that just brings us gratification, not satisfaction, and that is Jesus. And he's asking us to move into this place of just constant belief that it is not of our good works, it is not of our bad works, it is not of our good sayings or our bad sayings, it is simply our belief and our heart turned towards Jesus that said, everything that you did on the cross, I believe the words that it is finished for me and I choose to actually walk in a greater degree of life because you have blessed me with grace and you've signed me up for a brand new covenant. The Old Testament, is designed to actually bring us into this place where finally we're whittled down into this place so that we see Jesus. There's a pastor uh, that preached grace for a really long time and still does, and, and there was something that he said, and I still remember his voice, but he would say, it's always been Jesus. It's still gonna be Jesus. It'll never stop being Jesus. And he's talking about this idea that we can't move past the one and only Son of God. Everything in life is built around Jesus. There's nothing more spiritual. There's nothing more supernatural than Jesus. We can get over here in giftings and we can get over here in doing, but if we get over here and we leave him here, we're actually starting to look like and build something that is not what he's wanting us to look like or build. He just wants us because he gave all of him to get us. I believe that there's something available to you today that's better than the blessings of obedience and it's the rewards of faith and Jesus that lead to everlasting life. I don't know what it is that you have need for today. You know, I know that our church, we started a 30 day uh, period of prayer and fasting at the beginning of the year and I don't know what you might have put before the Lord if, if you did that kind of thing. If you're like, Lord, I, I'm really hoping to receive this um, in this time of prayer and fasting. I want you to understand that the thing that you need in your life and the thing that you want in your life and that thing that you think is going uh, to bring you satisfaction, um, hard work won't get it for you. It will get you a degree of success. And the word talks about how the Lord makes one rich, but he adds no sorrow to it. I want rich, but I don't want sorrow. <laughs> so I'm gonna do it this way. And that is the way that says someone else's works, Jesus has paved a way for me to actually experience things that I shouldn't have available to me. Your 20 hours of, of prayer every day, they'll be helpful and you should pray, but they aren't the thing that give you everlasting life. The goodness of who you are and the goodness of your heart and the things that you do in, in, in community and for schools and different things the way that you lead a company, those are all fantastic things and you should be uh, an integrous person, but those things without Jesus won't get you eternal life. I shared this in the first service, but I feel like the Lord is, 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 is gathering this remnant of people, so to speak, as sheep and he's herding them on all sides 
and he's, and he's pushing them all towards this, this one narrow gate. There's that scripture that talks about wide is the gate that leads to destruction, but narrow is the gate that leads to life and few find it. He's saying, I, I, I'm just looking for some people that re- will return to first love. It's even the reason that we're preaching the series that we're preaching. It's because we've really felt like the Lord was saying, the things that you built Renew Life Church on in 2013, the, th- the things that you started layering foundational, uh, the foundational layers that you started building was founded on the ministry of grace, the, 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 the word and the teaching of, of the grace of Jesus. And he's saying, if, if you'll actually return to some of these things, he's, he tells the Ephesian church, the church at Ephesus in, in Revelations 2, he tells them of all these amazing things and we're not doing, I don't believe we're off track at all. It's literally like, tune-up type things. But he tells them of all these amazing things that they're doing and they're crushing it in all these different areas and they're off the charts. And he says, nevertheless, I have this one thing against you. He said, you've left your first love. And he tells them, remember from where you have fallen, repent, and then he says, do the first works. And I believe that he's telling us in this moment, as he's gathering sheep, to this narrow gate. Remember your first love. What were the things that were burning on the inside of you at the beginning of your relationship with the Lord? Remember from where you have fallen, repent. If you've moved past Jesus because you needed something bigger and better and more spiritual, repent. And then he says, just go back and do the first works. Go back and do the things that you were doing at the foundation, the beginning of your relationship with the Lord. I would encourage you, like, go back and read uh, Revelation 2 and then, and then read Jeremiah chapter 2. They connect because the Lord is talking to the people of God and he's saying, I remember you in your youth. I remember you like a, a woman who was engaged and a man who was engaged and the love that they had for one another. He says, I remember you when you were chasing me in the wilderness. And it moves from that place to what offense have your fathers found in me that you would move far from me. And he talks about how they, 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 they basically just opposed the things of God because they actually got the thing that was in his hand, which was the blessing. And they left the person of God alone. And I believe he's saying, I just want you. Last weekend I preached this in Lubbock. Uh, I get to take, I, I invited a friend, a young man that comes to church here. Super incredible guy, he's on fire for the Lord, he's learning a lot. And uh, I was like, hey, will you, will you come? And he was awesome, came and he actually drove me there and back. I felt like a superstar or something. I do feel bad because I fell asleep on the way home. <laughs> it's like, sorry buddy. Uh, probably will never happen again. Like he probably never will come with me again because I fell asleep on him. Uh, but one of the coolest things is this, talking about first love and do the first works. He sat right on the front row on both services and he hardly ever made eye contact because his eyes were glued to a, a pad that he was just writing notes as fast as he could. Because he was getting something that is the word that is giving life into an area that maybe he's never had life in before. And that's the picture of Remember from where you have fallen, repent, and do the first works. I believe that God is wanting to get us uh, 
to a place, but he's wanting to get some things to us and it's gonna come through us believing, not in our good works, that our good works are actually good, but not that they actually get us to the place of grace. They actually, he's wanting us to move back into this place of it's solely belief in all that Jesus did for me on the cross that actually rewards me life and life abundantly. Thanks for listening. We hope you felt encouraged by today's message. If you need prayer or would like to connect with us, find us on social media or by going to renewlifechurch.com.